Hello and welcome back to Talking Leadership TV. My guest today is Rebecca Ash. I spoke with Rebecca under the Emerging Leaders platform of this podcast in July of 2019. Rebecca is a young female leader who champions environmental and social sustainability in agriculture. Her formative years were spent in North Queensland, then moving to Brisbane City for schooling. Her background has created a passion for both the land and communities that nourish our growing population. Her aim is to contribute to an understanding and implementing of agricultural land management practices that provide both resilience to the climate emergency, yet also act as a solution to one of the greatest challenges of the 21st century. Most of all, she's passionate about working with landholders, the people who manage over 50% of the earth's land, to achieve these goals through informing public policy. In line with all this, she's currently undertaking a PhD looking at socially sustainable trajectories towards a net zero farm emissions outcome, whilst also working in the greenhouse gas emissions mitigation and carbon space. Ultimately, this drives her interest in the impact on public policy. I really enjoyed catching up with Rebecca, one of my earliest podcast guests, and I know you'll enjoy this chat. But as always, enough from me, and I'll hand over to Rebecca. Beck, thanks for joining me again. And and why I say again is we had a chat three years ago on the audio version of the podcast and I had you on as a guest, as an emerging leader. So a lot has happened uh, with you over the last three years and insert COVID-19 and it, it, it mm-hmm. creates for an interesting mix there. So I'll start by asking, in summary, what have you been up to over the last three years and what's ahead for you? Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. It's um great to be back and thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, gosh, a lot has happened in the past three years. I think for everyone, a lot of big changes. Um, I think when I last spoke to you, I was um completing my undergrad of ag science and living out at Gaddon um at the University of Queensland campus. Um, so since then, I before COVID obviously went overseas. Um so I was working on an ACR Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research project in Laos um, for about two months before then heading off to Bogor in Indonesia um, for an exchange at the beginning of 2020. So that was really fun while it lasted, quite an experience, um, completely different culture. I think when I say Indonesia, a lot of people imagine me in, in the middle of Bali, Um but very different. So, um, yeah, unfortunately that obviously got cut short. I was really, you know, quite optimistic while being over there thinking, you know what, I can stay over here and it kind of got, okay, last flight's going back to Australia and I thought, oh, better get back on. So, yeah, came back to Australia in sort of the middle of this exchange program and you can imagine in Indonesia they didn't quite have an online system set up for university. Um, so that was an interesting experience. Um, so completed that through WhatsApp essentially while living at the coast and um, finished off my degree essentially remotely um, before then starting a job with a company called AgriProof. They're Australia's leading soil carbon project developers. So really interesting space um, to be involved in, quite new, innovative, political um, so I've loved that. And then just three weeks ago, I've started my PhD with BSRO and UTAS. So a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, con- congratulations on on starting the PhD and, and 
getting out and about to, to do your undergrad and, and get your skills set up. That's um, always good to see. The international travel would have been amazing, unfortunately, with COVID hitting. I'm, I'm sure that threw a bit of a spanner in the works, but it did for everyone, so you're not alone there. Um, let me ask in your travels, and, and this is around your perceptions of, of the leadership that you've seen around the place, particularly from an ag perspective, do, do you think things were, and I mean things from a leadership perspective, were impacted in your travels when you met with leaders or, or not really? Or what what was your feeling as you were getting out and about? Mm, I think, do you mean in terms of leadership through COVID, Eric? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. particularly, yeah, yeah. In my travels particularly, was it was really interesting space to be in because there was quite a culture clash actually um, through what I was hearing through ABC News in Australia and then I'm living over in Indonesia and um, I was at sort of an agricultural-based community, so a very science-based community, but there was kind of a, a perspective that it wasn't going to impact um, Indonesia for a, a wide range of reasons. It was too hot, it was too humid, um, there were, you know, a lot of religious perspectives involved. Um, so that was that was really interesting balancing those two. And I guess um, for me it really opened my eyes and I guess I, I knew this a little bit, but to actually have a lived experience of how much perspective and backgrounds shapes a leadership style. Uh, sorry, um, totally understand that. I guess being immersed in another culture and seeing Australia from a different perspective could be um, life-altering to some degree, particularly around something like um, uh, the the pandemic that we went through. Just, I guess, um, extending that realisation, I guess, from your part in particular, has that opened your eyes to cross-cultural issues being picked up from not just a leader perspective but that being something that needs to be front of mind particularly as you work in agriculture and why I ask that question and again you can pick me up on this because I don't know the numbers and maybe you don't need the numbers to have this conversation but we're highly focused on export markets when it comes to agriculture so um, do you believe that we have a good grip on cross-cultural issues with the markets that we engage in or is it a work in progress? I think it's a work in progress for sure. I mean, I guess I can speak from a space of working um, in international development in agriculture more so to the export markets themselves and where they're ending up. But um, it's a moving space where I think traditionally, you know, agricultural social science was very much that um, ag technology perspective where someone comes in, this is what you've got to do, and it doesn't get adopted for a wide ranging of reasons because of the lack of understanding between the two cultures and their practices, even it might be you know, a time timing thing, something's being set up to only work at a certain time of year where maybe harvest has to happen at that time of year. But that time of year is a really important um, religious, you know, ceremony and, and time that they won't actually be able to harvest during that time of year. 
Um, but I think it's definitely changing. There's so much amazing social science research um, coming out now on particularly international development perspectives and how we sort of co-design research and co-design solutions to that research. And even better, that's been coming through to Australia. It's a bit of a funny one. I kind of see it happening in an opposite way. We're focusing on the social side in international development before we then do that in Australia. Yeah, look, amazing insights and, and this is what we need from future leaders, which you still are obviously, you, you, you're working in that space. Um, if you don't mind me asking in the link to what you're studying in your PhD is is what your topic, and you can tell me what that topic is and share it with the, those that are listening or viewing the podcast, what is the central topic area you're looking at and did your international travels um, impact what you picked in terms of a topic area? Mm, dangerous question, Eric. People can go on for three hours about their PhD. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a mix. So for sure my, my travels just really influenced that if we want to see actual change, we have to be working with those who hold the keys to change, which are landholders in agriculture largely. So, yeah, that that was definitely solidified being overseas um, and in the research I was doing over there, that perspective, there was a lot of examples where there was that lack of communication and because of the difference in, in perspective, um, adoption couldn't occur. Um, so that in, was one thing that really you know, guided me into doing this PhD was how do we influence that? Um, and then second has been my my latest work under the Emissions Reduction Fund in Soil Carbon. Um, been really interesting space to work uh, with a lot of incredible landholders, but also very closely with government under policy um, and the Carbon Farming Initiative Act and seeing um, so many opportunities on how we could improve the engagement of how we create policy even in Australia with actually working with landholders. So with that background and, and the prior background to ag, you know, um, sustainability guided me to, to trying to find a PhD um, supervisor that would support what I wanted to do, which is um, looking at sustainable farm interventions and policy in livestock systems. So what kind of interventions can positively influence emissions, biodiversity, um, profitability, productivity, um, and how do those actually interact? So very um, multi and interdisciplinary. And then focusing on the social side. So those interventions, what kind of policies um, could we implement? What would those adoption rates be? How does that flow back into emissions and economic data? So that, that's where I'm at now, but early days. So need an yeah. update in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, in three weeks in, I'm not... I'm not expecting a, a final product there. And look, it, it's an interesting topic area and it um, demonstrates the need for this kind of research to help inform leaders in ag around those topic areas that you were discussing. And I, I really um, agree with and support, and this is just a personal perspective there, that the key people you need to engage with are the landholders, the farmers themselves to get uh, the necessary buy-in um, and if you saw that in your 
travels overseas, I don't think that's any different um, in Australia. And and given the um, the ongoing debates and discussion, and and you know, I live on LinkedIn, and I need to for the work that I do with my podcasting. You see these discussions panning out in lots of different directions around where we're going with things like biodiversity, climate change, and all those other things, and how does that affect farming? I I, I for not one second uh, doubt that there is uh, um, strong views on that in Australian agriculture uh, from different levels of representation from your peak bodies to uh, individual groups that are set up, regional groups to farmers themselves. And um, do you think there'll be some level of resistance as you um, get out your topic and are talking to people as, and I don't mean resistance in a negative way that people are scared of having conversations around this topic for what it means to cost of operations and where they're taking their, their, their farming infrastructure into the future? I think like any industry, you're going to get some people who maybe don't want to hear about it. But I think on the whole, um, landholders are so innovative and are so open to these conversations and thinking about how it impacts their business and the next generation more so than we are. Um, and, you know, working very closely with a lot of landholders over the past couple of years on these emissions reduction fund projects, you know, I think when I talk to people about it, they go, oh, you know, is it really hard to find anyone who wants to do it? There's kind of this perception that landholders don't want to get involved. But it's the other way around, you know, there's so many fantastic landholders out there that are just so keen to to jump on board and, and I'm hoping, you know, use a lot of those contacts in the work that I'm doing throughout the PhD. Yeah, and, and I, I'm not coming at it from the perspective that there's going to be resistance in the sense that going, someone's going to tell you to, to get stuffed and I don't want to hear <laughs> about it because I've, I've had enough conversations with people in the ag sector to... Um, get it in my head that you have to be innovative. You have to try different things. And uh, generationally that is those, those perspectives may change. So I'm, I'm talking from a place of not having the experience that you have. So I'm, I'm asking questions to see where, where things are at and I don't have your background. So um, please excuse my ignorance with some of the no, questions because I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to pick at your, your brain a little bit here. So one other thing that comes to mind here with what it is potentially that you're doing is um, do you think there's going to be um, or do you hope that the value of what you do is picked up by decision makers and leaders to help with better policy making? And, and I'll preface this by saying the reason I ask is the former sector that I worked in in the commercial seafood space, the issue of um, integrity of data, use of data and data omission. Are those uh, issues important, do you think, for leaders in the future? And what do you think your role is going to be in that space? A big question, but might as well ask now because I might yeah. be talking to uh, the next <laughs> leader of Q uh, NFF or one of the big groups. <laughs> I might as well ask you while I've got you here. Yeah, so... Um... Absolutely. I'm hoping the work that I can do can can lead to some tangible impact. That was a big thing for me. You know, I didn't go straight into a PhD after my undergrad, went and worked in the industry for a few years because I knew 
that maybe I wanted to do a PhD, but I wasn't just going to jump in. If I was doing a PhD, I had to have an avenue for tangible impact to be something that I felt very strongly about. So definitely hoping, I guess, looking at the policy interventions um, from an evidence-backed, science-based research perspective, policymakers can then use that research to consider some some different policy mechanisms that may be used in the future. Um, so that's one side of it. And then my role in the future with, um, you know, learning all this and getting into spaces, I think, you know, policy is something that I'm very interested in. Um, I've always sort of wanted to stay away from politics. I didn't like all the hierarchy, the power and whatnot. But I figured that, I mean, now, unfortunately, I think a lot of politicians start off from school knowing you know, I want to be a politician and there's the driver is power the driver is not some sort of empowerment of a community or a group um and so I think if you look at you know the senate is currently in you know 10 percent have a science background um so speaking to a lot of you know mentors trying to understand you know where I could could take my skills would probably be in the kind of policy advisory space so yeah whether it's being involved with someone like um, NFF or even going into politics myself um, so then someone joked oh you should just become the next ag minister so you just never know <laughs> well there you go and I could say I was talking to the next PM on uh, on this podcast <laughs> um, yeah it's it's um it's an important topic area and more more to the point um, and I think possibly even above the specific leadership discussion that we need good information to make decisions. And I, I strongly believe that leaders need access to that information from people that are coming at it from a, a good faith stakeholder perspective. So if you're doing good research that can be, um, can be assessed, can be uh, criticized, but I'm talking critical feedback, not criticize, Hey, I don't like what you're mm. doing not not opinion based but factually based that that's the only way that we're going to get good policy outcomes into the future and whether the public are aware of it or not a lot of hope a lot of good policy making is based on good science sometimes it's not based on good science but there's not much you can do if you're providing the information and it doesn't get used in the way that you hope it does i mean i i I understand that grey area in which scientists work where you can develop all the good policy ideas that you like, but in the end it's not you that makes the decision about which one is picked or which one has more priority. And when you put that political lens over the top, it complicates what you do, but it shouldn't diminish the work that you intend to do. And, um, you know, the optimism that I think younger people bring to that research process and those questions is what we need to foster more of not less of and you know australia is mm. producing um good quality researchers all the time and the fact that you're linked to CSIRO and um what was the other organization CSIRO and university of tasmania yeah. well two mm. two very good institutions you you know we're going to get some good stuff once your three years is up but once that journey's done there's still more to do my Final area of discussion, if I can, is, and this is some crystal ball gazing, but I would like to, mm -hmm. to pick your brains on this if I could. Into the future, what do you see uh, good 
no, I won't use the word good, effective leaders in the ag space need to draw from the science community of which you're going to be a part of what 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 what's that what's that set of um skills that those leaders will need in the future i think um it's going to be an ability to work bottom up um i think that's somewhere we're still lacking i mean you know a, a leaders um you know, not all. Obviously, there's some. There's so many incredible leaders out there, but let's say institutions at, at a whole, I think, are still in this um, pathway of it's easier for us to just come up with something, make a decision, roll it out. Um, but you know, it gets rolled out, no one adopts it, and they go, "Oh my gosh, like, why isn't this working?" <laughs> um, so, and it can be more difficult to work bottom up. You've got to deal with more perspectives and conflicting ideas and feedback but I think being able to to work in that space synthesize all of the information and come up with a solution is going to be something that leaders need along with um, an ability to be vulnerable I think particularly in ag um, you know we can be a bit of a wall up closed book she'll be right kind of perspective but what connects us I think so much is vulnerability appreciate your time this is great to catch up after three years of a of a journey that you've had and look looking forward to um having a read of your papers when they get uh, yeah. published as you go along your journey which the phd mm-hmm. and i wish you all the best uh with that process so thanks for your time beck thank you eric love the work you're doing <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> appreciate it thanks mate Thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. A big thanks to Rebecca for sharing her passion for agriculture and, of course, giving us a window into what our future looks like in terms of young emerging leaders. As always, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Drop a like if you can or better still, subscribe to the podcast. Look after yourselves. Have a great day and we'll catch you all on the next edition of Talking Leadership TV.